You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go to Ecclesiastes. That's where we're going to be at. Let me say hi to the Bogard crew. We're always glad that you guys are here. Thank you so much for being with us. I love seeing Christmas music. Um, I hope you do too. It's one of just the richest hymns we have is the singing of thinking about Advent and Christmas and what Christ has done and the coming of Christ. So I hope that you're going to enjoy this season as we keep singing Christmas music and thinking about Christ our Lord. Uh, I've got four kids, so I read a lot of children's books to them. One of my favorite children's books, it's actually, there's two books by Max Licato. One is called You Are Mine and one is called You Are Special. How many of you guys have read those books before? You need to get these books. They are fantastic. So even if you don't have kids, go ahead and get the book. It will bless your heart. But You Are Mine it's about these little people. They're not really people. Um, they're, they're little um, creations of a guy named Eli, and they are Wemmicks. They're little wooden people in this imaginary land. And you have this one little Wemmick named Punchinello. And what happens in this story is you have Punchinello, who has two friends, Tip and Nuck. And what they do is they discover boxes and balls. And in these boxes and balls, they begin to collect them. And of course, one of them gets two boxes, and the next one gets three boxes, and then the next one gets a ball, and then another one gets another ball. And they begin to compare how many balls and how many boxes you have, and Punchinello begins to see, oh, well, how do I get happy? It's by collecting boxes and balls. And in fact, the whole town gets infatuated with collecting boxes and balls. So everybody's walking around with these giant stacks of boxes and balls. They can't see. They bump into each other. They're worried about their boxes and balls. What if somebody steals them? What do I do if they leave? How do I get more? And so their whole lives are spent chasing these boxes and balls. And you can just tell little Punchinello, he is seeking happiness, but he can't find it. He's miserable. He's distraught. And then all of a sudden, with this giant... Uh, boxes and balls, he bumps into a door and all of his boxes and balls fall down and he opens the door and he walks into a workshop and all of a sudden he meets someone named Eli and Eli is the master carpenter who has actually made all of the Wemmicks and Eli has actually made little Punchinello. And Punchinello didn't know this. He didn't know that he was made. He didn't know that he was made by Eli for Eli. He thought life was about boxes and balls and desiring more things and more stuff. And what he didn't realize is life is really about a relationship with Eli. And what Eli got to say is, hey, true happiness is not in what you have, but it's who you know. It's by being made by me. Have your identity in me. You know, I think in the Christmas season, we are most tempted to be like little Wemmicks. We're most tempted to walk around stacking boxes and balls and giving away boxes and balls because we think somehow if I just have more and get more and buy more and acquire more, somehow I'll be happy. I'll find true happiness. But it doesn't work because we keep coming back to the next Christmas and the next Christmas. And somehow we can't find that thing called joy. Well, we're going to see 
from Ecclesiastes, we're going to see that Solomon is going to tell us that God actually has a gift for us that is better than any gift you have on your wish list from Amazon, whatever you've texted grandma out, whatever your kids have asked for you, God has a better gift. And his gift that he wants to give to you this morning is to actually find enjoyment in life. Like true enjoyment. And for you to do that, you have to be like a little punchinello. You have to bump into a door and drop everything that you are seeking joy in. And you have to walk in. You have to understand that you are made by a maker. You are made by him and through him and for him. And until you find your joy in him, you will seek it in other things. And you will not be satisfied. And the reason you won't is because God won't let you be satisfied. He actually wants you to have longings that you cannot satisfy because he wants those longings to lead you to the place where they can be satisfied. And that is only in a relationship with him. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Ecclesiastes. And we're going to go to chapter 5. And we're going to see in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and chapter 6, there's sort of a chiastic structure. So we're going to see the bad, the good, and then the bad. And what we're going to read is that middle part, because I think that's where Solomon would want us to really get our take home from, this idea that God actually has a gift that he wants to give to you this morning, and it is the gift of enjoying life. And how many of you can honestly think and say, I don't have that. I don't have joy in life. I'm seeking it. I'm trying it. I'm wanting it, but I don't have true joy in life. Solomon's going to say, God wants to give it to you, but it's only found in relationship with him. So if you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes, go ahead and stand. Its words are going to be on the screen. We're going to read 18 through 20 together, and then we're going to walk back through this text. Here's what it says in verse 18. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one tools under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Father, I pray that you would help us to see your good gift, and that is to truly enjoy life lived with you and through you. Because if we have you, then we can enjoy all those things that you've given us. So I pray that you would give us the gift to be able to enjoy the gifts that you've given us. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. You guys may be seated. So we have this this gift that God wants to give to you today. And here's the gift. He wants you to actually find enjoyment in life. He wants you to be able to rejoice in the Lord, as Paul will say. He wants you to find joy. But in order to do that, we're going to have to learn what not to do in order to find out how to find true joy in the Lord. So he's going to talk about some bad, and then he's talking about the good, and then he's talking about the bad again. So if you work with me back up in the text, we're going to look at verses 8 through 9, and we're going to have a little um, talk about politics. And what we're going to see is that rulers are often bad, 
but we all need rulers. So when it comes to politics, guess what? A lot of leaders in politics, in the government, there's often corruption, there's often mishaps, there's often people not leading for your well-being, but leading for themselves. There's often corruption in government. But guess what? We need government. That's what he's going to say. So look with me. If you see in a providence the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For a higher official is watched by a higher, and there are yet ones over them. But this is gain in the land in every way, a king committed to cultivating fields. So it's like if you go into a city, if you go into a providence, if you go into a state, you go into a country, and you see this oppression and violation of rights and what you have is leaders who are leading people and leaders have leaders over them. There's a lot of bureaucracy, there's a lot of structure and often when people get in leadership, they get power and power often corrupts leaders. And you can see that. And we see that even in our social media feeds. We can, we can kind of look into um, perhaps a country like China where you have communism, where you have a zero COVID policy and it's leading to real damage on individuals' lives. You have a, a government that has power that is often not acting in the best interest of their citizens. But the opposite of government would be anarchy. And what he's going to say is, hey, Government is actually better than anarchy. Tyranny is actually better than anarchy because, well, people need leaders even though leaders are often bad because fields have to be cultivated. People have to be cared for. So if you think about it, even in, in, in the biblical structure, so we are with King Solomon. He is one of the kings of Israel. He's kind of one of those leaders. But if you look at just the books before him, you have judges. And if you read the story of judges, what you have is a people doing what's right in their own eyes. And guess what? It doesn't go well for them. And what that kind of tells us is, guess what? We don't do good leading ourselves. We actually need leaders. So people don't do good leading themselves. We need leaders. And that brings in First and Second Kings. So Judges says, hey, we need a king. And then you have First Kings and Second Kings, which produce a whole lot of bad kings. So in Judges, we need a king. In First and Second Kings, we get kings. But guess what? All kings are bad. So it's like, we need leaders but all leaders are bad. So, so how do we reconcile that with, with what we need? We can't lead ourselves. We need leaders, but all leaders are bad. So what do we do with that? Well, it brings us to Isaiah 9, 6, where for to us a child is born. And the what? The government will be upon his shoulders. See, we need a leader. All leaders are bad. All kings are bad. Oh, except for one. There is one king who is good. His name is Jesus. He's come and he is coming. He is the good, perfect leader over his kingdom right now, over his church. And he is going to reign over the new kingdom as our perfect king. See, Solomon is trying to see, hey, when you see corruption in government, realize that it's a necessary evil. Because people need leaders. All leaders are bad but it points to the leader that we need. And that leader is King Jesus. Only he can lead us in perfect and good ways. It reminds me of what Winston Churchill said. He said, democracy is the worst form of government. Now we're like, hold on. I thought democracy is the best form of government. He says, democracy is the worst form of government except for every other government that's been tried. It's like democracy, it's the worst except for every other form of government. But even democracy, even our Republican order, it's 
broken. We have leaders that are broken. And when you see that, don't be amazed. No, we live in a fallen world. We all need leaders. Leaders are often corrupt. And it points to the perfect leader who is our King Jesus. So he's going to move from politics into economics. And we're going to kind of deal with economics for the rest of the way through. And just to kind of put a, a thesis over our talk of economics, I want to think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We, re- we read through that, um, our last sermon series. Matthew 6, 24 says this, you cannot serve both God and money. And so we just kind of keep the words of Jesus in your mind because it's going to fit well with what Solomon is going to teach us. And money, in some translations, it's mammon. It's not just like the printed bills. It's what money gives us, power, influence, value, significant worth, that we can get those things out of money. And it doesn't become money, it becomes a God. It becomes mammon. So we're going to see that you can't serve both God and mammon, this desire and this love and worship of money. So the first thing we're going to see is don't love money. Verse, five, verse 10 says this, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So don't love money. It's kind of the first main key thing. Don't love money. If you want to have God's gift of enjoyment, you can't love money. Why? Well, because money won't satisfy. Now, you're looking at me like, well, how do you know? Well, this is a guy who had more money than anybody in the history of the world. So I'm just going to take his word. If he says money can't satisfy, I'm not going to get more money than Solomon. He had the most money of anybody that's ever lived on the planet. And he says, hey, guess what? Money won't satisfy. See, the problem with loving money, if you love money, it starts there. It starts with loving money. But when you get money, it turns into loving more money. Like money's not something when you get it, it satisfies you. You have to have more. It's like if you're Captain Jack Sparrow and your goal is treasure, you're not happy when you get treasure. You're happy when you get more treasure. And then when you get more treasure, you're happy only when you get more treasure. So you're miserable because the thing you seek can't satisfy. It's like filling a bucket with holes in the bottom of it. The more you have, the more you want. It never truly satisfies you. So Solomon is trying to say, don't love money. Don't love income. Don't love just more in your bank account because there's never enough. You will first love money, but then you only want more money and more money will never satisfy you. So take it from Solomon, money can't satisfy you. The second thing we see is more money equals more problems. Verse 11 says this, when goods increase, they increase who eat them and what advantage has their owner but to see with his eyes. So as goods increase, it actually increases the one who eats them. It increases, and that's the idea of increases your worry, it increases your stress, it increases your waistline. I mean, Derek Kidner, a scholar, will point out that it's amazing in today that we have became a very affluent society. Most of us don't have to do back-breaking labor every single day just to eat. We have affluence. We've got jobs that give us a lot of ease. And because we live in a culture with so much affluence and so much ease, that we have to actually build gyms where we go and try to work off the effects of having too much money. We have too much money. We eat too much. Our waistlines grow. So we have to pay memberships to work off some of the problems with the money that we have. Solomon's saying, hey, when your money increases, you increase too. 
Your waistline increases, your taxes increases, your worry increases. And it's also the idea of, guess what? People around you increase. Like when you got money, people are coming to get some of your money. Like if you have a lot of money, Give Tuesday was probably a miserable day for you. Nobody called me on Give Tuesday. Nobody's like, hey, Corey, will you, uh, nobody called me. But if, if you're like a business leader, business owner, if you got some money, you probably got some emails, phone calls, solicitation. Everybody wants you. Why? Because you have money. So you were stressed out on Give Tuesday because a lot of people came. You got a lot more mouths. A lot more people depend on you. And so when your goods increase and what good is them, and the idea is you only, the only good is that your eyes just watch it go away. You have more, more people come around, and you're watching it slip through your fingers. Also, more money equals less sleep, Solomon will say. Look at verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So this idea that the more you have, the more you increase, and the more money you get, the more wealth you get, the less you will sleep. Why is that true? Because you have to worry about all the stuff and all the demands and all the things that your wealth has brought to you. What he's trying to say is the bottom floor of Downton Abbey sleeps better than the top floor. Like the servants want the life up top. But you know what the life up top is filled with? Worry, anxiety, misery, sleepless nights. It's the bottom, those servants that are laboring, they're enjoying the little small things they have, and they're actually sleeping at night when the top, who has it all, they have to worry about all that they have. And he's saying this, this irony of you won't be satisfied. The more you have, the more problems you will have with it. And the more you get, the less you will sleep. So what's, what's like the take home? What does he want you to know? Well, number one, don't love money. Don't love income. Like don't have as your goal, I'm miserable, I want to be happy, therefore I'm going to pursue more money. He says if that's your goal, if that's your target, it won't satisfy you. The more you get will actually make you more miserable. So don't love money. But the second thing is don't trust in money. Don't trust in riches. So verse 13, we're going to first see this. Riches hurt to keep. So if you're keeping riches, it's actually to your hurt. Notice what he says in verse 13. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. So when you keep riches, when you hoard riches, when you stack riches, they don't help you. They actually hurt you. And we actually like know this because we tell stories. Like the point of the Grinch is not he's the good guy, go hoard your money on a hill. The point of Uncle Scrooge is don't be like Uncle Scrooge, right? It's don't be like Uncle Scrooge. Don't set in your gold and not give and be generous to others. Like we have stories, like we know the, the ring of power, like the more you hold on to it, the more you keep it, the more it rots away at you. So the more you store and keep and collect and hold on to, Solomon says it actually hurts you. And he would know. Why? Because he's got more than any of us ever had, and he is a wounded and hurt man with all that he has. So if keeping money hurts, here's the next thing, riches hurt to lose. So riches hurt to keep, but riches also hurt to lose. Notice what he says in verse 14. And those riches 
were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but has nothing in his hand. So it's like the first guy hoards riches and it hurts him. The second guy loses riches and it also hurts him. I mean, we've seen the FTX fall, right? Cryptocurrency, over $1 billion of consumer investment. People are investing big, cryptocurrency, and all of a sudden, in a moment, it disappears. It vanishes. That was a bad investment, a bad venture. And then that person that was banking on this certain thing to make them rich, and their little kids are saying, hey, daddy, we're going to be rich, right? Yep, now, now you're broke. And you have nothing in your hand to give to your kids. So riches, it hurts to keep them, but also it hurts to lose them. So what's the point? Don't trust in them because it hurts to keep them and it hurts to lose them. So don't trust in them. And also riches can't travel with you. This is one of his big disappointments of life under the sun. He says, riches can't travel with you. I don't know about you, but I love to travel. Like, I, I love having a, having a trip on the calendar where I'm going to get on a plane and fly somewhere and do something. I, do, I love travel. And part of it, I, I love bags. I don't know why, but I love, I love bags. But I don't love check bags. I love carry-ons. And I've convinced my whole family that we are never traveling with check bags. Like, I don't care if we're going somewhere three weeks. We are only carrying a carry-on because I don't want to check it. I don't want to get it when it gets there. I want to just have a backpack and a carry-on. You can wear things three times. It's fine. I love carry-on luggage. I love organizing it, getting it just right. But with my carry-on stuff, everything in there, it's stuff that matters to me. It's just what I need. It's just what I'm going to use. It's very thoughtful on what I bring and what I'm going to bring back. But I can't imagine getting on a plane and having zero luggage. Like, could you imagine going on a trip and carrying nothing with you? Like, not even like change of undies, like nothing, right? That'd be stressful. Imagine taking nothing, none of the things that you like and the provisions you have and those things that, well, they're just your stuff. Solomon's going to say the place you're going, and that's eternity, you can't check a bag and you can't bring a carry-on. You're actually going to be able to carry nothing in the journey you're going on. Notice what he says in verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, so shall he go again. Naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there with him for all the tool that he tools in the wind? Moreover, all the days he eats in darkness and much vexation when sickness and anger. So you got this idea that riches, it, it hurts to keep them, it hurts to lose them, and you can't take them with you. So, so he's trying to say, hey, riches won't satisfy you here, and you can't take them there, so don't love them and don't trust in them. As Denzel Washington says, you will never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. It just doesn't happen. You don't get to take your stuff with you, but think about how much we spend working for the stuff that we buy and the stuff that we have and the stuff that we want, and yet the moment we die, none of it goes with us. So what's the point? Don't trust in it. Don't use it as mammon. Don't worship it. Don't make it your identity. So he's trying to get us to the place to be able to accept the good gift of God. 
And the good gift of God is to actually enjoy the stuff we have in our lives. And in order to do that, you can't love money and you can't trust in riches. And again, richest guy in the world. He's the one telling you this, not me. You're like, I've seen your truck. It's not that great. I know, but his truck is better. He's got whatever you need. And he's telling you, hey, it's not going to work. So that leads us to this kind of key part where it all gets good in the text. So look with me back in verse 18. We're going to see this, this gift that God has for you. So we have some bad. Don't love money. Don't trust in money. This is a life that's not going to lead to happiness. But now we have this good spot of here is what you should do. Here is what God has for you. So this is what we're going to lean into and actually think about how do we get this? How do we get to this place where we enjoy the good God has given us? Notice what it says in verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting. So all of a sudden, Solomon's looking at all the bad. Now he says, now I'm seeing something that's good and fitting. And I think we have one of those burst of light moments. We've talked about this, uh, Ecclesiastes, it's under the sun, life apart from God. Let's try to figure it out away from the Lord. But then in it, you have these bursts of light where, where Solomon is saying, hold on, okay, let's, let's just remove the clouds for a minute and let's remember God. Let's let the rays shine forth and let's see how are you to live this life connected to God and how could that make a difference in everything? So this is one of those burst of light moments. So now he's seeing something that is both good and fitting. What is good and fitting? It's to eat and drink and, I want you to look at that word and. That is an important word. It's to eat and drink and what? Find enjoyment in all the toil which with one tools under the sun the few days of his life. Notice this that God has given him, for this is his lot. So Solomon says, I'm looking at the world. I see people loving money and trusting in money and stacking money, and I myself are doing the same, and I can't sleep. I can't eat. Everybody's weary. Everybody wants me. And then he says, but, but, but you know, if we bring, if we should shine God's light, there is something good and fitting. I've seen it happen. And what's good and fitting is when people are able to eat and drink and find enjoyment in their labor. I mean, think about eat, drink, and work. Just these like simple things in life. Not like these grand things, just the simple everyday mundane things. He says, find enjoyment in them. It's both good and fitting. That we would receive that these are received, that we actually have these gifts from God, and this is our lot from God. So, so let's think. What he wants us to do is to enjoy the things in our life, and we're going to see that this is actually God's good gift. That if you're able to enjoy the things in your life, it's actually a gift of God. Notice what he says in verse 19. Everyone also to whom God has given... Now listen to this, wealth and possessions. Now we kind of get the idea that wealth and possessions are bad. Like if you have wealth and possessions, somehow you're bad. That's not what Solomon's going to say. Wealth and possessions are not bad. Your relationship to wealth and possessions are either bad or good. And he wants you to have a good relationship with wealth and possessions, the things you have or the things that you don't have that you ultimately want. He wants you to have a good relationship with that. So notice what he says. Everyone to whom God has given, so it's a gift, wealth and possessions, and 
That's another important and. And power to enjoy them. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. Now notice what he says. This is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. What is the gift of God? To find enjoyment. To have the power and ability to enjoy the things that you have. That's a gift from the Lord. So just like think about it in your life. Are you able to enjoy the things you have? Or do you always want more? Like when you get something, is it like, you know, like Christmas morning, like we open a present and we look at it and we like throw it away. It's like, okay, what's next? Right? Like if you have kids, Christmas morning is just a madhouse. Like open sea, toss it, open sea. But isn't that our lives at times? It's just like one gift. Don't even enjoy it. Don't anything about it. Just toss it and then look for something else because that didn't quite do it. I need something else. I need something more. We can't enjoy the things we have because we're always wanting the things we don't have. We always want the other thing, the next thing, because we believe if somehow I get that next thing, I will be satisfied. I will be happy. And what the gift of God is, is to actually enjoy those things that eat and drink and work and the simple things that you have already to be able to enjoy them is a gift of God. So how do we, how do we sort of unwrap this gift? I mean, if God has it for us, if he's telling all of us, I've got a gift for you this morning, and it is the ability to enjoy your life. How do we unwrap that? How do we get that? I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want, like, to be able to enjoy my life. Like, how many of you, show of hands, want to enjoy your life? Anybody? Does anybody not want to enjoy your life? I just want to be miserable. Like, that sounds better. I'll take that one. Like, nobody, right? All of us want joy in our lives. And here the gift of God is the ability to enjoy our lives. How do we get there? Well, we have some subtle hints in the text. Notice that these things are given from God. So if we're going to enjoy the small things in life, we have to believe that they're actually from God. We have to believe that they're gifts from a giver. We can't just Go for them for just gifts in themselves. We have to see their gifts from a giver. Our, our, our family, the things that we have, the goodness in our life, it's all a gift from a good father. So the gifts have to lead us back to him if we're going to find enjoyment in them. So you have to believe that our gifts are actually from our giver who is God and it has to lead us to God. Like Punchinello with the little boxes and balls. Like at some point has to lead you to bump into the door and realize, oh, this is not what life is. This is life. God is life. And these are just accessories. And if I don't have God, I will always be unhappy with accessories because accessories were never made to make me whole. Only God can. But if I know God and love God and see God, then all of these accessories I can enjoy in relationship with God. So you have to see the giver of the gifts if you're going to be satisfied and have joy in the things of your life. Also, he talks twice about accepting your lot. What does it mean to accept your lot? Well, you got to believe God is sovereign over your life and he's, or- he's organizing and orchestrating your steps. And guess what? Where you are right now is by God's design. You know what we often do? We don't love our lot. We want someone else's lot. 
Like we are an entertainment culture that most of our lives are spent imagining and living places where we're really not. Like we, we binge watch other things just to go somewhere and have something else because we don't like our boring mundane life. If we could have their life or her life or his life, then we'd be happy. And part of enjoying life is to realize your life has been given to you by God and enjoy the lot you have. Don't want something you don't have. Don't want someone else's life, enjoy your life because it's a gift from God and he has a plan for you, for your steps where you are in the circles that you go through. Don't wish for something else, enjoy where you are. I love what David says in Psalm 16. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. In other words, God, what I want most is you. You're my chosen portion. And then he says, you hold my lot. In other words, God, you, you're the one that's given my, my steps where they go. And then he says this, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So David says, okay, God, you're my chosen portion. You hold my lot. Whatever comes to me is beautiful. And you know, if you follow David's life, not everything that happened to him was beautiful. Like he's running in a cave trying to escape. Saul is trying to kill him. His whole life's not beautiful. But he saw his life as beautiful because it's God's lot for him, for him to walk through. And even his suffering, he saw as a beautiful hand of God in his life. So right now, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, don't try to escape and get somewhere else and say, well, if I just get here, then I'll be happy. Rejoice in where you are right now because God is with you in the midst of it. And God is the one who holds your lot. So rejoice in what you have and rejoice in where you are. This is the good gift of God. And then notice he, he sort of ends it in verse 20. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And one thing he's saying is that if you will remember God and you'll be connected to God, saturated with God and, and infatuated with God, then you're not going to focus on all the suffering and bad all in the world and everything wrong that happens to you, but instead you'll have joy in your heart. That You'll see your lot is actually good and the things you have are actually good because you're seeing God in the midst of them. So then we go into another round of bad. So if I have bad, don't love money, don't trust money, it's not going to satisfy. And then we have the good, accepting God's gift, which is enjoying your life. Because you see, it's from God, and God has your life, so enjoy Him. And then we're going to see sort of the alternative story, and that is a good life without joy. So here's the good life without joy. Look with me in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity and a grievous evil. So here's another guy who has sort of the same things. He has wealth, possessions, money, honor. He has the good life. He lacks nothing of all that he desires, but there's not an and, there is a yet. It says, yet, God doesn't give him the power to enjoy him. So here's like the counter story. So the one guy has some good things in life, and he can enjoy them because he's connected to God. Here's a guy who's got a really even a better life, like the best life, but he can't enjoy it. He can't enjoy the things 
that he has. Now, why would God not allow someone to enjoy the things they have? Why would he not give you the power to enjoy all the things that you have? Because he doesn't want you to settle for boxes and balls. He doesn't want you to settle for lesser things. He wants your longings and desires to lead you to him. Because it's only in him that you will be satisfied. He makes the case even stronger. Here's the ultra good life. Not just a good life, the ultra good life. Notice in verse three. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life good things, and he has no burial, I say a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity, goes in darkness, and in darkness his name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun nor anything, yet it finds rest rather than he, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to one place. So here's the ultra good life. 100 kids, 2,000 years of life. Now, to the Jewish mind, kids and long life is the good life. Here's a guy that's got 100 kids and lives 2,000 years. But guess what? He can't enjoy the things in his life. And Solomon said, that guy, a stillborn baby is better off than him. Because a stillborn baby doesn't know the pain of having everything but not able to enjoy it. So I want to just compare these two. So there's a contrast. There's one guy who has stuff and wealth and and the, enjoy, the ability to enjoy them. And the other guy has wealth and stuff and honor and the good life, but he can't enjoy them. So one, God gives the power to enjoy. The other, he doesn't. So what are you supposed to do with that? Why would God give to one and not give to the other? Well, the one who is able to enjoy them is the one who sees his life from God and his lot is from God. I think it's giving us the picture of he's the one that's in relationship with God. He's punching aloes, hit the door, drop the boxes and walk in. And he's met Eli, he's met his maker. And now he sees all of life through the giver. All of the gifts are seen through the giver. So every gift he's able to enjoy because he traces it back to the giver. Therefore, he has joy in the smallest things like eating and drinking. The most mundane things like going to work on Monday, he has joy and happiness. But then this other guy who has all the world is miserable because what happens is when gifts are disconnected from God, they become gods and those gods can't satisfy. When your gifts are disconnected from God, they become gods and those gods cannot satisfy you. That's why at the end of the Elvis movie, you have Elvis in this penthouse suite overlooking where he is the star in Vegas, the most famous person in the universe, and he is miserable and broken because he has everything and he has nothing at the same time. He is at the top, but he's really at the bottom. And you're saying, yeah, but if I had, no, you wouldn't. If you had the whole world, but you miss God, you will have nothing. Solomon's trying to get you to see that. That if you want to have true joy, you got to have the joy that only God can give, that God can empower. And it happens through a relationship with him. 
that when you see him and understand him and know that your life is from him, through him, and to him, then you can enjoy him and enjoy all the things he's given in your lot. And everywhere you go, you can have joy because you're not getting your ultimate joy in stuff. You're getting your ultimate joy in him. And then you can enjoy stuff because you're satisfied in him. That's what Solomon's trying to get us to see. And he's going to give us a few more instructions. Verses 7 and 9, we'll finish with these. Here's kind of the main point. Enjoy what you have rather than wanting what you don't. Here's what he says. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Notice this in verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the appetite. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the appetite. In other words, it's better to see what you have than to want what you don't have. Think about wondering appetite. Does that sound like anyone? Does that sound like you? I mean, that certainly sounds like me most days. I have wondering appetites and advertisers know that because when I look at something on my phone, guess what? It follows me around. Does anybody happen to you? Like when you look at something on Safari, then it goes to your email, then it goes to your face. It follows you around everywhere. Why? Because advertisers know we have wondering appetites and the more we see, the more we want. The more we collect, the more we stack. And our wondering appetites lead us to more and more stuff. And what Solomon is trying to get us to see is stop the wondering appetite and instead let your eyes see what you have. That be satisfied with what you have instead of desiring always what you don't. Because when we actually look and see what we have, and we see that it's a gift of God from God, we actually have joy because we're not worried about what we don't have. We're not worried about stacking boxes and balls. We're worried about spending time with our maker who is God because he's not just our maker, he's also our redeemer. Like that's what Christmas is about, that the one who made us also is the one who died for us so that he could cleanse us of all of our love of money and love of stuff and trust in stuff, that he could cleanse us of our idols and our worshiping of God so that we could be cleansed and made new and that we could have a relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ so that now that we're brought into a relationship with God, we can see him and he actually becomes enough how do you know if you've came to know him and he is enough well Solomon would say you have the ability to enjoy life if you know God if you are connected to God if you have a relationship with God here's what God gives you as a gift the ability to enjoy life you don't always need the next thing. You don't always have to make the next plans. You don't always have to be at the next place. You don't always have to look for something more because you have the one you're looking for. You've walked into the wood shop. You've seen your maker. You've seen your remaker. And you're satisfied in him. 
Therefore, when you are satisfied in him, when you are satisfied in God and what God gives you and the lot he has for you, you know what you will have? You will have joy in your life, in the mundane things like eating and drinking and working and just those average things, you will have joy, the joy that the world can't seem to get because they don't have the ability because God's not gonna give you the ability to enjoy boxes and balls because they won't satisfy. God's not gonna give you the ability to enjoy all the things that you're seeking and pursuing. And he's not doing that because he's mean, he's doing that because he's good. He's doing that because he loves you more than you know. He's not wanting you to stop at stuff. He's wanting you to stop at him. And if you stop at him, and you come to him, and you trust in him, and you get a relationship with him, all of a sudden you will be satisfied. And then and only then can you find joy in your life. So just a question. Do you have this gift? I mean, Solomon says the gift of God is to be able to enjoy life. How does that happen? It's through a relationship with God. Do you have the gift of enjoying life, or are you miserable and still seeking and never satisfied? Well, if that's you, you're like a little wimmick that's walking around with a bunch of boxes and a bunch of balls, but guess what? They're not gonna satisfy. You know what you need to do? You need to bump into the door and drop those things that you're seeking for true happiness and joy, and you need to walk into the wood shop. You need to, you need to go to God. And through repentance and faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, find your identity and worth in him. Because when you're connected to him, you will have joy. And his joy will cause you to have joy in every area of your life. Let's pray together. Father, some of us in this room don't have joy we can't rejoice in the Lord, like Paul says, because we just don't have it. We don't have joy. We're always needing more. We're always wanting more. And the things we have don't satisfy us. It's because they weren't meant to. So God, I pray if there are men and women, boys and girls in this room who are miserable, unsatisfied, I pray that you would let them see that only in you can they find the joy and satisfaction they are seeking. So I pray that today you would grant that gift of joy in life because they find you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org.